Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined, as always, by Mark Larocco. Mark, welcome to the pod. And you were telling me something. I guess you're dreaming about me. I guess I am. I don't know. Having dreams about your co-host. It's always a little awkward when I tell one of my um, platonic male friends that I'm dreaming about them, but it's it's happened a few times. Uh, and, And so I had a dream just last night that uh, you and I were having a meal, like having dinner, having lunch somewhere at a restaurant. And then this girl came in uh, and you proposed to her. You got down on one knee, uh, you know, offered the ring, asked the question. She was excited, very emotional. She said, yes, you kissed and hugged. And I was just there. I was the third wheel, which I've done that a few times on various dates and things like that in my life. But never an engagement, right? No, never at an engagement. And, and it wasn't... That's, that's what I find so funny about this dream, is that you and I are just having lunch. Right. And in the middle of it, I just kind of up and propose to some girl who's come in. Yeah. It was, that's, what I, that's the funny part. It was very weird. I, I, yeah, I'll give you that. I don't have... Uh, I, and, and it was one of those dreams that felt real. Like, like it was yeah. more of a realist dream, not a formalist dream, if we're talking movies, I guess. Like... It seemed okay. to mirror the real world in the sense that, like, I didn't see anything magical happening or, you know, a character that was dead that was suddenly in my dream alive. Um, it seemed like it was a girl from one of our old, old singles wards, uh, our old singles ward, but I'm not sure. I, I don't. Yeah. And if, if so, I don't remember her name. Um, and, and the thing that I kind of got the impression from the dream is, and somehow, I don't know how, sometimes we're at least semi-omniscient in our dreams and we know things, but then we don't know how we know them later. <laughs> It was as if you had been either hiding a, a real, like, intense, deep relationship with her, like, you know, from the rest of the world, including me, or that you guys were just, like, best friends, like, not, you know, romantically, but best friends, but then it was, like, a movie moment where, you know, two best friends see that love was right in front of them all along, you know, whatever, gotcha, and you gotcha. um, you got engaged, and so, and, and, I, and as I told you a little while ago, in the morning... Uh, later in the morning, this morning, I, I kind of it fully hit me that like, oh yeah, I had a dream. That was a dream. That wasn't real. Oh okay, you know, <laughs> it was it was weird. Hey, well, Mark, Mark, just for the record, I am hiding nothing from you. <laughs> well, you got to be I, hiding I could not, something. I could not do that. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I also pulled out my phone and was taking pictures of the event um, in oh. my dream. Um, and and that was well, that was how you confirmed that it was a dream. Is because you went to your phone. I went to my phone. Everything was deleted or, you know, there was nothing there. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Quite interesting. Well, that is, uh, that's, that's something, uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've had some pretty wild dreams. I, I remember I had a, I dreamt about Taika Waititi a, a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And a couple of people from my, my neighborhood, one of the guys in my neighborhood was in the dream as well. And I told him about it and I think he a little awkward but um he also laughed he has a good sense of humor so it wasn't like yeah. embarrassed or anything but it was it was a pretty funny dream um so yeah yeah i i have not most of my dreams these days involve photography in the sense that i'm in some location usually it's outdoors and i see this amazing sight like some incredible sunset or like sometimes it's been some dramatic weather phenomenon, Mm -hmm. like a tornado. 
and I want to get a picture of it because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be incredible. What a shot. And I can't get my camera to work. Like I can't get the lens to click on right or mm. I'll get it all lined up and I, and like the autofocus won't work. And so I, I can't actually click the shutter. That's That seems to be kind of my recurring dream these days. That's, and uh, oh, that's... I, I would prefer to dream about getting engaged. I think that would be a much more positive experience because this, this seems to be kind of a recurring frustration yeah. that I'm that I'm encountering. Well, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe if any of our listeners, uh, are, are dream interpretation experts, you can throw some potential interpretations our way. And, uh, and we'll just, we'll just change this podcast into something entirely different. I mean, we could make it a, a, a modern day Joseph and the amazing technical dream coat podcast where we yes. interpret dreams and find yes. out if we're, we're going to die in prison or be released from, you know, like uh, there's probably uh, something to that. Um, I don't Mark, know. if we if we do anything even close to that, if we if we manage to get this, if we ever start doing the podcast on YouTube again, if we start recording like the video, mm-hmm. I think that you should wear that same coat that Kramer had in Seinfeld when he when he got Joseph's coat. Do you remember that episode? I don't. Yeah, he he actually got a hold of the Technicolor dream coat, and he was he was just walking around with it one time. But then he got busted because somebody thought he was a pimp. Oh yeah, I didn't know. I guess I hadn't seen the one? beginning of the episode. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't know that was the uh, the dream coat. But yeah, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, again, like any listeners, if you can confirm or deny, I'm, I'm about ninety five percent sure that that's what that's how he wound up wearing that coat and getting in in trouble at that point. I have this image in my mind of him that's funny. strolling down the sidewalk right. and they're, with a cane. And they're playing like 70s like funk music or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Oh man. Yes. I you know that that musical was playing in Toronto with Donny Osmond when I went on my mission in 1997. Wow. And because some missionaries had been openly disobedient um, at a Blue Jays game a year year earlier all they call them super <laughs> activities all super activities were were banned so no, none of us ever got to see it um no but i heard the music i coincidentally i first heard it in toronto and i i really love that musical it's quite good wow so nice anyway well uh that is uh that is some that is some fun news to open on and uh i'll i'll let you know if i can return the favor if i have any if any random dreams mm-hmm. about my co-host <laughs> in the meantime how about we talk about some movies Let's. we got uh, we got some good stuff to cover uh we have a movie coming out this weekend uh this weekend with today being october the 19th i believe when we're recording mm-hmm. uh we have a movie that i finally saw that came out about a month ago but you saw several months ago i saw it in and then January. we have a movie yeah yeah, yeah. uh then we have a movie that Came out many, many years ago, but you did not see until last weekend. And I'm excited to talk about that because I was there for that event. Um, But first off, Killers of the Flower Moon. This is the new Martin Scorsese film that, okay, no, so just to confirm, this is one that you were super excited about, but you have not seen, I have not seen. In fact, I almost was going to go tonight, but, but, you know, we had this and then... um... Anyway, I, a long story, but yeah, yeah I haven't seen yeah. it yet. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, because I remember that this was one of the ones you pointed out earlier this year, but then I know that you were able to see a few movies at Sundance, including the second movie we're going to talk about. And so I couldn't remember if you 
had already seen this and really loved it, or if you were just really excited to see it. But I guess it's the latter. Mm -hmm. So, so I will, with that in mind, uh, I will I will be discreet in my descriptions, and I won't I won't give too much away. Killers of the Flower Moon, new Martin Scorsese film. Uh, it is based on a series of real life murders in 1920s Oklahoma. Um, so after oil gets discovered on the Osage Indian or is it Osage, I think it's Osage. Osage? Yeah. Okay. All right. So after oil is discovered on the Osage Indian Reservation, <laughs> <laughs> slow down. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna start my reading again. Okay. okay. Okay, so Killers of the Flower Moon is based on a series of real-life murders in 1920s Oklahoma. Uh, so oil gets discovered on the Osage Indian Reservation. And so all of the residents become very, very wealthy all of a sudden. Uh, but this wealth is threatened by a war veteran uh, who marries into a Native American family and then helps his corrupt uncle to kill off any of the competing beneficiaries. Uh, the veteran is played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and then the corrupt uncle is Robert De Niro. So some familiar uh, Martin Scorsese actors. And uh, so, so the, the story basically follows what happens after, uh, you know, as, as uh, DiCaprio's character uh, meets, meets this young woman. He, he's actually like, like a driver for her. He, he drives her around town and they, they become close. They get married. And then kind of through the, the, uh, the manipulations of his uncle, um, various mysterious murders start taking place and nobody can kind of figure out what's going on. And, and, uh, so there's kind of this, this is, well, this is what's interesting because, especially in, in terms of spoilers, because it's very, very obvious, almost explicit from the very beginning of the movie that, uh, DiCaprio and De Niro are, or their characters are behind what is happening. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's very obvious that there is uh some kind of uh ill will and murdering going on these these are not accidental deaths mm -hmm. um and and scorsese doesn't really try to hide what's happening so it's really more of a question of are they going to succeed long term in that are they literally going to wipe out everyone in uh in his wife's family um now the wife is uh, her, her character character name is Molly, and Lily Gladstone plays the role, and so DiCaprio. So er Ernest is his character's name, and he's basically the protagonist. He's kind of the one we're kind of you know seeing this movie through his eyes for the most part. Um, but she is absolutely kind of like the sympathetic focal point because we watch her endure the passing of sisters local friends, her mom. And basically what's happening is, you know, they have the inherent right to the, you know, because once the oil is discovered, uh, the people who own the land are able to kind of lease out, you know, the drilling rights mm -hmm. and all the money that comes in as a result of that. And so they become very, very rich. Um, and, you know, so, so De Niro's character, which is um, uh, William Hale is the name. Uh, he basically just kind of feels like, well, let's marry into the family. And uh, mm -hmm. if uh, they happen to not make it very long, then all of the rights will defer to us. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, it's very, it's very transparent. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not known to the people in the movie, but it's presented 
to the audience, like the viewer, in a way that makes it really clear what's going on. I mean, we see we see DiCaprio out with a couple of it, like his brother or his brother and a friend, like out robbing people and committing crimes. And you know, even though he's a war veteran, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of portrayed as you know, he's not above this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, one of the other conflicts is kind of the question of, well, did he marry her just? in order to kind of pull off this scheme or does he have some genuine affection? Because that's, that's one thing that's also portrayed is that there does seem to be a conflict there where he, he knows what he's getting into. He does genuinely have some genuine feelings for Molly, but he's also kind of going along with this really horrible, horrible scheme. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, so what's interesting is that, you know, the whole movie kind of, it feels like this descending line. Like you kind of see what's going on from the beginning and it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And the only question is, okay, well, is this going to bottom out or is something good going to happen? Um, is this, uh, what, what more do you do? Do you already know about this one? Mark? Well, it, I, can, I think you've, I mean, you've been kind of looking into this and been kind yeah, of, yeah, I've, I've read the book and I've read so much about it that I feel like I know a lot of what's probably going to be shown in the movie. Um, the book is in fact the subtitle of the book is about the birth of the fbi it's called killers of the flower moon the uh, osage and the birth of the fbi i can't remember the full title but like the the point of view of the book is actually it sort of presents this backdrop of these mysterious deaths that keep happening and it, it talk, mm-hmm. talks about the laws surrounding like how they still need to have a ward like they're a, the indians are a ward and then they'll have a guardian that will sort of still kind of be in charge of the money, but the money belongs to the Indians who are on the, who are on the land. Um, and they had already been displaced a couple times and then they were given this land in Osage County and it turns out to be a huge boon for them, um, which of mm-hmm. course makes some of the white people very jealous and angry. So anyway, um, but then what's happening is because there's so much corruption locally in the county and in the state that right. the FBI which is a fledgling organization, a federal organization that's only a few years old at the time and looking for some wins, public relation wins, they are uh, sort of assigned with the task of discovering who's doing it, like solving the murders, yeah. basically. Right. And they send and this that's guy the, named that's Tom the Jesse White. Pleman's character. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So and he he doesn't even show up until way into the movie. Yeah. And and by way into the movie, I mean like two and a half to three hours in. Right. Like this is a three and a half hour movie. And that and and I when I had heard that, I didn't really. And maybe it's good because I'll just see a different point of view. But the book is definitely largely about Tom White and his team uh, that okay. he assembles and. What happened is the book, the screenplay was originally written that way. It originally followed the book, and that's the one that Paramount um, approved. And then there was some other, I, I don't know exactly the the whole story of why it got changed, but even Scorsese felt like he wanted to tell more of it from the point of view of Molly and the Indians. And because Leonardo DiCaprio was originally slated to play Tom White. He was supposed to play oh, okay. Tom White character. and. So it got changed quite a bit. Um, and so I, when I had first heard that, I was a little disappointed. And so I, I don't know. I really liked the book, um, but I felt like there were some reasons and maybe even some political reasons. I don't know why it really changed. Um, but I can't really speak to the movie other than mm-hmm. what I the background stuff I know because I haven't seen it. I'll, you know, I'll be seeing it in the next week. But um, anyway, I 
it's it's still very fascinating to me. It's still a really tragic American story. Right. Um, and I think I think that's where the focus is. Yeah. Um and because I I came away from it thinking, well, there's not a lot of plot here in a way. Like there there are not a lot of surprising twists and turns. There there's not a and like I say, just going into it early on, you pretty much know what's happening. You know who the bad guys are. You know who the good guys are. And so there's not a lot of suspense or tension in terms of figuring out what's going on. It's just, like I say, it's kind of a question of, okay, so are these people going to succeed with what they're doing? And are they going to completely pull out the, you know, the wealth and, and, and all of the money from this, you know, the, the people of Osage. And so, but I thought, well, you know, it's, that's not required to make it a great movie. Um, cause there, there are some other things I really, really enjoyed. I mean, the, the performances are fantastic, uh, especially, you know, in, in spite of the fact that you got Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio here, I think that, uh, Lily Gladstone is, is really fantastic. She, she has this very understated kind of skeptical, you know, persona that she plays that, uh, that I think really works well. And, you know, she really stands out and, and she really has kind of a, a journey mm-hmm. that she goes on, yeah. um, and it's it's beautiful to look at. Um, there are some really really fantastic uh, visuals and the cinematography, and, and specifically in a couple of scenes. There's there's a scene later on in the movie where uh, there's just this is not a, a, a significant spoiler or anything. There's a of a, a fire in a field at night, and these people are out trying to uh, beat down the the flames and. Uh, Scorsese just really, you know, makes the most of the visual, and it's this this really kind of beautiful, haunting, haunting image. Um, and of course, the the soundtrack is incredible. There there are some really strange similarities to O Brother Where Art Thou. Um, even I think even a couple of the same songs are used, just different versions by different artists. Um, but uh, but overall, you know, and and I don't, I wouldn't exclusively say it's because it's three and a half hours, but I, I wouldn't rank it among my favorite Martin Scorsese films or, or say that it was his best. Um, I think it's worth seeing. I think people who, who are fans will enjoy it. I think people who read the book will probably enjoy it unless you felt like, you know, if they, if they change the focus of the book significantly, that might kind of stand out. Like I didn't really, you know, yeah. I have to have that to reference, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say I was blown away by it. It was, it was obviously very tragic and there's some uh, some scenes that are very violent, very very sad. Um, but unlike a lot of his other movies, I have a tough time picking out scenes or moments that are going to stand out to me years from now. In the, in the way that I can pick out imagery from Taxi Driver, or even you know like Raging Bull or or Goodfellas, um, I wouldn't. I can't say at least at this point that this movie ranks among those. Mm. Yeah. So, which is, which is, I guess my way of saying like three stars out of four, it's still a good movie. It's still one of the better movies I've seen this year. Yeah. But I think I hoped it was a little bit better. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, you spoke of the cinematography a little bit. The, the cinematographer is the same guy who did Barbie. 
which is very interesting. <laughs> oh, well, obviously. Different. That, 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 that explains a whole lot, Mark, really. <laughs> Rod- that, his name's uh... <laughs> Rodrigo Prieto. He's worked with Scorsese before. He did The Irishman in Silence. And um, I think he's awesome. But, I mean, he could get a couple nominations this year, which I don't know if that's ever happened before. Like, But it would be interesting to see if he got nominated twice in the same you know, category. I was watching a YouTube clip. I think it was one of those ones I was watching about Apocalypse Now. And I think that they suggested that Coppola was pitted against himself when both The Conversation and Godfather Part Two were nominated for Best Picture. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think he was probably nominated for Best Director for both. Yeah. And he won, you know, for one of them. Right. Yeah. so that was, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't imagine that happens very often right. if it, uh, if it does. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, really this thing, it's, it's three and a half hours long. I wouldn't say that it feels quite that long. Um, I didn't find myself going, Oh, I can't believe this movie is still going. I wish it would end. It's, it's definitely very, very watchable yeah. in the, which, which sounds like in kind of an understated kind of a backhanded compliment. What I mean is, you, it's it's not the most in, it, it is not the most engrossing story, but it is a engaging enough story that I was perfectly fine just sitting back and watching it for, you know, three plus hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't because I was you know I hate I hate the term riveted because it feels like such a movie review cliche. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that this movie is riveting, but I also didn't find myself getting all nervous and fidgety and wishing that it would just end already. Yeah. Um, where, where I have felt that way about some movies that have been about two hours long or less. Well, so. it's like, it's like Ebert said, he said, no good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough. So okay, it sounds yeah. like a good movie. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Once, once again, the wisdom, the wisdom of Ebert, but uh, yeah, but um, we'll have to have your report back when you get a chance to see it. Okay. And uh, I would love to get your input, especially because it sounds like, uh, people who are familiar with the book might have kind of a different experience. Well, I'm going to try to ignore the book because everybody, that always happens, right? If you read the book first, you you just try to, you have a problem comparing it. And movies are different. Yeah. Movies are just different than books, you know? Right, right. So. Okay. Well, on to the next one. Um, so last January, you got me very very jealous because you were able to see the new john carney movie Mm -hmm. Um, john carney for those who might not be familiar with him he's the guy who did sing street in 2016 Uh, he did another movie called begin again and one called once that i think most people might know him for Mm -hmm. Uh, they are all very very music centric in fact as i think about it not only are his movies about music they're about making music mm-hmm. and he really seems to focus on the the songwriting and performing process yeah and uh and this new movie is no different uh flora and son uh it was at sundance which is mark where you were able to see it and i finally was able to see it uh it was released i think in september i think is when it got a brief theater theatrical release before it's over on uh, apple tv and so i finally got caught up um in fact Last night, I think I watched it last night. Um, 
Flora and Son is the story. It's about a single mother. Um, she's in present day Ireland. I can't remember if she was in Dublin or not. Do you remember that? I think it is. I think it is Dublin. It seems. I don't want to just assume that everything that happens in Ireland is Dublin. <laughs> um, anyway, she uh, she takes up the guitar as a way to connect with her teenage son. The idea she originally kind of thrifts, or actually, I think she takes it out of a dumpster and gets the guitar kind of re reassembled by a local you know, music music store. Tries to give it to her son because he's having trouble. He's like 14 years old. He's getting a lot of, you know, he's he's kind of got this. Uh, he's on the verge of going into juvie. Um, he rejects it. Uh, and so she starts taking online lessons from a YouTube instructor played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and uh, things go from there. So it's like, like a lot of his, you know, Carney's other films, uh, you know, kind of follow, get in, into the, the intimate details of these, these people's lives. Um, is it uh, Eve Hewson, right, is the, the name of the actress who plays uh, Flora. And uh, she is also... Bono's daughter, which I just found very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, she really plays this kind of this very, very sympathetic, uh, kind of at her wits end, single mom, you know, she's got a 14 year old boy who would just assume that she doesn't exist. Um, she's got this, you know, very dysfunctional relationship with her ex-husband. Uh, actually, were they even married or were they, were they divorced or they just, I don't remember if they were, I, but. Yeah, they they might not actually be ex husband and wife, um, but uh, oh my! And now I'm uh, Jack Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner, yeah, who was the the secret MVP of Sing Street? He played the older brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he so he plays he plays the t- the son's father, and uh, yeah, it's just you know. If you if you're familiar with Carney's movies, you'll see a lot of the same kind of tropes and vibes, and and you know there's some very very heartfelt moments, and you know uh, Flora is trying to she's it's funny because at the beginning of the lessons she's only kind of half serious about taking lessons, and she spends half the time flirting with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, mm-hmm. and so it takes a while for her to to, to convince him that she'll actually take this seriously. And of course their relationship kind of kicks off, even though they're, you know, thousands of miles apart because he's in Los Angeles and she's in Ireland, possibly in Dublin. Yeah. And, uh, and we see how, you know, she, she's able to kind of engage with her son. Who's he's like in love with this, this girl who's in their apartment building basically. And she's always, she's always playing these, I don't know how, how, what's, what is the, the proper way to describe this. Like there's some guy in the neighborhood who is always filming rap videos in the parking lot in front of some like Land Rover, I know. you know, some, some pimped out ride. And so, you know how like these videos, they always have like dancing girls in the background. Yeah. And, and, and one of the local girls is one of his dancing girls and Flora's son has this huge crush on her, uh-huh. even though she's just this not very, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Like it's I, I just I just find it kind of cute and bizarre and weird and Yeah. Because you know, there's always it's there's always kind of like these sad cutaways where you kind of see how she's behaving and it's 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 almost like the camera is kind of taking pity on her because I don't know. Did you did you ever notice that? 
it just seemed kind of you, you mean you you're talking about the girl or about flora yeah oh the girl well, both but i mean i mean yeah. specifically the the girl I'm, yeah. I'm trying to remember the character's name yeah but uh i don't remember if it was was it juanita or Hart. i don't remember no who. so so juanita is the new girlfriend of uh the ex-boyfriend oh ex yeah husband That's jack right. rayner's character yeah yeah um and there's and there's the question of where she actually is from because her name her name is Juanita but they I think she might actually be from Ireland or this because this was basically Flora is taking every opportunity to take pot shots at her mm -hmm. her ex yeah and uh, and so so she likes to make fun of his current girlfriend and I I, I believe that. Um, the her true nationality was one of those points that she was trying to get after but right anyway um so remind me how you felt about this one because I, I seem to remember that you said that this one was one of his funnier movies well i i thought it was funny um i i probably laughed more in this movie than any of his other movies even seeing street once wasn't really funny at all i think it's his best movie but it's no. not a comedy by any means um right I, I did laugh a lot. It, it, it's quite, I mean, some of the humor comes from just the vulgarity of, of Eve Hewson's uh, Flora. Um, mm -hmm. She swears quite a bit. And I, I liked how she's a pretty complex character in a way because she's kind of self-destructive. She's sort of trashy and foul-mouthed, but she's also big-hearted. I mean, the whole movie, the plot is set in motion by her desire to get her son something, you know, some outlet. I mean, she gets that guitar for him, if you yeah. recall, but then she ends up being the one that learn, learns guitar, but she's kind of petty, but loyal, and she's sort of jealous. Uh, she has some issues, but then also um, you see a kind of an evolution, a maturity in her character. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's funny because I think it's one of the more, and, and, and this is what John Carney talked about in the Q&A session after the after the we watched it and how it was kind of a tribute to his mother and, and sort of a tribute to moms because she's she's a single mom I and mean, she doesn't have it easy and and some of it is maybe like brought upon by herself but then her son is looks like he's potentially going down the wrong path i mean he's getting he gets arrested and you know there's some things that happen where it's like is music can music combined with his mother sort of save him help get him on the right path um and so I, I did like it. I mean, it wasn't like a love for the movie. I mean, I, I, I would say I still put once and probably Sing Street, you know, probably Sing Street ahead of it. But there was a lot to like about it. Um, really cool scenes in it. Like I liked the both sides now um, scene when she watches the video on YouTube of Joni Mitchell's performance of both yeah. sides now and is kind of yeah. like, half listening at first but then you can see just by her face her face acting oh, yeah, she's like she's like she turns it on yeah well, so so what happens is is joseph gordon levitt's character recommends it mm -hmm. as something for her to listen to and then so she clicks on the link and immediately walks away from the computer and starts like doing the dishes and just doing stuff around the kitchen and you can just kind of hear it playing in the background and then gradually it kind of takes over her you know captures her attention till you know she's sitting in front of the computer crying by the end of the scene. Mm -hmm. I, apologies if that's too much of a spoiler, but like that's, that to me is a real classic Carney moment yeah. where he, he is able to show and capture 
how music affects us. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, one of the things that I just adore about all of his movies is they have, they, they really portray that, that connection and that power. Yeah. M- music is never just like a backdrop or like a needle drop or something there to just support maybe a scene yeah. or a sequence in a movie. Like for him, music is the whole point. It, it connects people. It causes people to come together. It can help express emotions that maybe normal dialogue cannot. Um, and he, even Glenn Hansard, who, Hansard, who is, uh, he actually just came to Salt Lake recently for a concert to the Red Butte Gardens. He, um, was the main star of Once. He said that, yeah. uh, that Carney, he's not a filmmaker who makes music films. He's a musician who makes movies. And, and Carney is. I mean, he, he talked about getting his first guitar, uh, I believe it was from his mom, uh, in the Q and A session. And, and that kind of set him on the path of, being a musician and then being more interested in movies, but like he loves music. Uh, it's hard. I mean, it would be interesting to see if he ever made a movie that had nothing to do with music. I don't think it's possible, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I thought it was, I thought it was great too. Um, and that, and you, you mentioned early in your, your comments too, about how it's really about the process of songwriting, of collaborating mm-hmm. with somebody and making a song. And that's one of his very favorite things to show. He's done that in, I think, all of his movies. It's yeah. actually like two people sitting down and writing a song together. Um, mm-hmm. Or somebody writing a song, then the other person coming in and like augmenting it or, you know, making a suggestion. And um, Well, and most of, I believe, all of his movies involve and incorporate music that is created for the film. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are some moments kind of like we described with, with uh, Joni Mitchell, where he's using pre-existing music. Um, but there's also a lot of original music that was created for his films. And, and we kind of see now, obviously we're not seeing their, the actual writing because that took place, you know, behind the scenes, Yeah. but we see the characters creating the music that actually was originally produced mm-hmm. for the film. Yeah. Um, which I hate to say is part of the reason I didn't like this one as much as some of his other films, because I wasn't as crazy about the music that they create in Flora and Son as much as, um, you know, I, I feel really, I feel really split because like you, I think it might, we might have to say that once is his best movie, but Sing Street is easily my favorite John Carney movie, mm. and it's not even close. Um, I, I adore Sing Street. It is, it is on probably like the top ten list of the movies that I have reviewed as a critic. Oh, and, and this we're talking, you know, ten plus years now. No wonder, um, no wonder you're so jealous of me seeing Florence Sundance. <laughs> I was mad, <laughs> enraged, enraged. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love I'd love to meet and interview John Carney someday. That would be fantastic. Um, and I still I so in some ways I almost feel similarly about Flora and Son as I do about Killers of the Flower Moon, which is that it's definitely better than the majority of what I've seen this year. I definitely you know enjoyed both films. I can't quite say that I like them as much as other works from the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I mean, I wouldn't say it's just for this reason. I mean, as, as you pointed out, Flora and Son is quite a bit more profane. I mean, it's 
uh, Sing Street is his only PG-13 movie. The other three are rated R and almost exclusively for language. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, these are not movies that have a lot of sexual content or, you know, serious violence or anything like that. It's, it's really just profanity. Um, you know, and kind of some more adult vulgarity, you know, like the, the yeah. subjects they're talking about, like I said, cause Flora, yeah. you know, she, she really likes to kind of get under her ex's skin. And, and so she'll talk about things that, uh, you know, her a little more. Yeah. I mean, I guess, that's more, more sensitive. That's part of her. I don't know if you want to say charm, but like, it's part of what yeah. makes her the character that she is because she, well, she's, and it's a great character yeah. because like you say, I mean, she's, she really does have a good heart. And, and so the movie is really about that, the good side of her emerging and taking over, you know, mm -hmm. I mean that the first sequence of the film is her partying the night away at some club and then having a one night stand. And, and then after that, we all find out that, Oh, actually she's a single mom and, and all mm -hmm. this. And so, there's kind of the sense of, oh, wow, you know, this is a, this is a mom out doing this kind of thing and yeah. stuff. So, and, and luckily yeah. she doesn't have any babies. I mean, her kid's a teenager or something, but mm -hmm. yeah, she's, she's presented as quite reckless and you don't know where she's going to go kind of aimless and, but she's got a kid to take care of. And, uh, anyway, we, we also got yeah. to meet, well, we didn't meet, but the son who, who wasn't, I, I think this may have been his first movie. He was also at, at the Sundance Q&A and he rapped, okay. he rapped the song. Oh, did after, he? Yeah. <laughs> got a big ovation from the audience. It was pretty funny because he, yeah. he turns out to be more into rap than, than like, like folk music or, you know, rock music. Right. But I have to right. agree with you about the music too. I was thinking about the songs of once are just fantastic and, you know, falling slowly and and then you have songs from Sing Street like Drive It Like You Stole It. I don't I don't remember the tunes of any of these songs from Flora and Son. I just don't. So yeah. they're not as memorable to me as as some right. of the other ones. So you you haven't seen Begin Again. I haven't, no. We'll have to uh we'll have to have a chat once you see Begin Again. Yeah, maybe I will become a completist because Carney doesn't there do a lot go. of movies. So. I mean, come on, it's only four movies, and you've liked everything you've seen so far. you got to do it. Yeah, yeah. you got to do it. Okay, and so speaking of being a completist, or completionist, completist, whatever? I, I say completist, but, you know, completionist completist. is a more complete word, so maybe that's what we should say. I think uh, I think we'll just roll with it. <laughs> um, let's talk about Aliens, because what was this, three months ago now? You mentioned that you, you guys saw Alien for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the original 1979 horror sci-fi from Ridley Scott, uh, the infamous scene about the chestburster. I mean, this is, I think we're kind of in... Uh, Are we past spoiler territory? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think I think we kind of have to let that go. Um, Will it? So that was the first one. That was that was the original. Sigourney yeah. Weaver, kind of her star-making turn, you know, one of the kind of the classic, you know, female heroes you know, um, of that, of that era. And then, uh, so you saw that for the first time and really enjoyed it, yeah. but had not seen the sequel. Right. And so aliens, we plural. Yes. So you and I had the chance, uh, a couple Fridays ago to watch it together. So we, we after you gotta, you gotta give them the full context because I, this was, this was like a complete evening. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a complete evening. I mean, this is the Utah film pod crew. 
um, getting together. Well, yeah, but what I what I mean is, we 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 got together to watch the movie after going to a chili cook-off. Oh, which which I think was almost as important an event as watching aliens. That's right. As as huge as yeah. So a trunk or treat slash chili cook-off where we yeah. we my kids got to dress up and we got to hand out candy and um, you and I had got to go find some batteries for one of the costumes. Um, That's right, which <laughs> because the inflatable up... dinosaur costume, right? Didn't the inflatable work. <laughs> dinosaur costume still didn't inflate with the batteries. Um, so my son actually got a new one, a new inflatable dinosaur costume. Oh, good. Hopefully, we're done buying those kind of costumes, and we can just recycle <laughs> them. Um, but anyway, we got to see aliens on our on our big screen in the basement, and so let me let me introduce it a little bit. Okay. So set it, set it up. Alien is uh, well James Cameron's sequel to the nineteen seventy nine space horror hit Alien, which is a Ridley Scott film, brings back Sigourney Weaver's Ellen Ripley, the only human survivor from the U.S. CSS Nostromo. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And this film, Aliens, takes place more than fifty years after the original. It follows it Ripley, who's been recruited to accompany the U.S. Marines on an investigation mission. This investigation mission is to discover the mysterious total lack of contact from families who have been assigned to colonize a planetary moon called LV-426. One of the early scenes of Aliens is an official inquiry where we learn that there is near total skepticism of Ripley's explanation of the crew's disappearance. Uh, Because if you recall from the first movie, she and her cat are the only survivors. Um, Mm -hmm. But... The problem for the the people in Aliens is, other than her story, there's no evidence of these alien creatures, which are called xenomorphs. Um, Therefore, the Aliens puts Ripley kind of in the fascinating position of having to confront the xenomorph again, or xenomorphs, note the plural title of the sequel, (laughs) and trying to lend her expertise to help the Marines and save the colonists. in time, it's discovered that there is a, a survivor of, from the colonists uh, named Newt. She's a little girl, and Ripley sort of becomes a surrogate mother figure for her. Um, there are various Marines in the movie, the, the, the rough-and-tumble Marines who are willing to fight, you know, and, and show their bravery and maybe sometimes foolhardiness. And then there's an android named Bishop who's along for the ride. And if you've seen the first movie, you'll know why she's not accepted by Ripley at first. But then right, right. he grows on her. So that's kind of the setup. And as I said, I, I don't know how much we want to get into spoilers because I really want people to discover these movies for the first time. Well, uh, well, we should probably point out that so the moon where the colonists are have, have set up their colony and gone, you know, gone radio silent. That's the same planet from the first movie. Right. Right. And that's, that's, I think that's really kind of the, are you kidding me moment for Ripley Mm -hmm. is that, you know, she gets, she gets, and, and she's, she's not like this old woman, like she was in cryogenic sleep or whatever for the 50 years. So she's basically like the same age, you know, um, but it's been 50 years. And then she comes to find out that, okay, so not only do you do not believe my story, but you have sent colonists to the same planet where all this happened. Mm-hmm. And so, so she has to go back to the place, you know, where this, where this took place. And, uh, you know, but this time she's accompanied with all of these, these gung ho space Marines, including we got, we got Bill Paxton. We got, uh, uh, Michael Bean. You might know from the first Terminator movie. Um, 
some other some other fun characters, and uh, so so they have to they're they're bringing out the big guns literally mm-hmm. to uh, take on the aliens. So so Mark, what did you think? Um, I've, I'm so I've been so excited. I mean, we we talked about yeah. I I, I I liked it. I I had a I just thought of it as a more more bigger like kind of movie than Alien. Alien was such a, a much smaller movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's more weapons, there's more gore, there's even more jump scares. Obviously, there's more characters because, um, I mean, the first movie really takes place with this very small work crew on a ship and there's really no one else in the movie and, and there's only one alien or one xenomorph in Alien. Um, but I don't know, I don't necessarily think more is better in this case. I, if I had to mm. pick the two, I would I would pick Alien. I know there are others, you know, many people who pick Aliens, um, but it's still very good. It's I mean, the special effects were dynamite. I I, I loved the um, there's there's a queen in the movie uh, that yeah. deposits eggs because I mean the reason they're called xenomorphs, which is like changing alien. I think that's kind of what that word really means, or alien changing, is they they go from egg to Base hugger to chest burster, <laughs> as you said, um, and so they kind of have a life cycle. They have three stages of life, and uh, where they kind of get scarier and scarier. Although to me, the face hugger stage is one of the most frightening things that I could even imagine. Oh yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, and and what it is, I I've I learned that it's called a parasitoid. Parasitoid is an organization organism that lives in close association with its host at the host's expense, eventually resulting in the death of the host. This is one of the reasons why when the face hugger has attached itself to the face of a human, they really can't do anything about it. The other reason they can't do anything about it is because their, their blood is basically the strongest acid in the universe. I don't right. know, maybe. It's horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's horrific. I, I was thinking of like, in terms of just the sheer fatal... Uh, uh, I don't know characteristics of aliens. This like mm-hmm. aliens that I've seen in movies before. I don't know if anything tops the the xenomorphs of these movies. I I mean, yeah. they're so good. They're so scary. Um, well, they were designed by is it Giger? Giger, yeah, H R H R Giger. Giger Geiger. Uh, I, don't know it. I can't remember if he's German. I know. I mean, I know he's European. Mm-hmm. And and he has man. You want to talk about dreams? That uh, that guy's his his artwork it, it, you would describe as nightmare fuel, mm-hmm. right? Would be kind of maybe the current popular term for it. Um, and and his artwork, uh, well, he he actually I think he was the art you know designer or illustrator for you know he 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 designed the alien mm-hmm. and uh, and it's yeah his stuff very very unique very very you know, very memorable, very, very terrifying. Um, he was going to be on just, just quick, you know, additional piece of trivia for you. He was also going to be the kind of the art director for Yodorowsky's version of Dune that, uh, was going to take place in the seventies and then never happened. Um, and I don't know. I mean, the guy, his 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 work is pretty amazing. I think he was also involved in the movie Species, okay. which I've never seen. I haven't seen that either. Um, 
but I've seen like the alien from it and that does seem to be pretty consistent. So anyway, it's, it's yeah. a great design. I mean, just, I mean as far right. as special effects designs for, for creatures, it's, it's hard to think of something that's better. And especially when you look at the 1980s, well, even 79, 86 special effects, mm-hmm. they're very realistic uh, yeah. for what that would be. I mean, I know they, they, you know, they don't exist in real life, hopefully, but um <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's I think it's awesome. But I, one of the things I like about these movies too, which I, I don't know if this was very common at the time, but we have a female protagonist who ultimately is the you know the smartest one and the, probably the bravest and toughest in many ways. And then she is becoming the surrogate mother to this girl that she's trying to protect. And then she's kind of is has to face off against the female protagonist of the aliens, right? Right. right. <laughs> I mean, the, oh, it's the it's the mother. battle of the mothers. It's the battle of the mothers, and and I also I really love the character arc of the android, uh, especially as you know compared to the first movie. Um, yeah, and uh, I, you know that even those effects there are are just I'm kind of disturbing because he's he's given very human like qualities that we will that kind of endear our us to him and then you know certain things happen that it's 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 hard to watch it's difficult to watch um but i but yeah i i for me there's something about the almost i don't know if i want to say just the simplicity of the space horror suspense aspect of the first one um that i think is probably it's super it surpasses the second a little bit but but not mm-hmm. not a lot. I mean, I it's the second one was great, and we you and I watched the what they call the special edition, um, which is about right. seventeen minutes longer. It, it has a little bit more in the uh, of the colonists. I think you stayed. Yeah, um, yeah, and that was the first time I'd seen that version because uh, when I, whenever I'd seen Aliens before, you you really don't see anything of the colonists at all except for the aftermath the, the girl who's right. left behind yeah so we yeah. so we we arrive in the aftermath but the new or the newer or the extended edition whatever you want to call it 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 does set up just a little bit i mean there's not there there's not a ton um but it does give you kind of a peek into what what was going on in the colony before mm-hmm. uh, before they unleashed the beast well it's an interesting um, choice to to kind of uh fast forward 57 years from the last one because because they didn't have to bring back anyone from the first movie they could have just almost started right where it left off but because of the hypersleep and the journey back to earth they they were able to advance things because and you can see that the tech advances quite a bit too that's the other thing i noticed in this movie um is the tech like the mech suits and the motion sensors and things that are there to make this a, a kind of a richer movie than it could have been but just a simple mm-hmm. kind of space try to fight the aliens movie um so i mean this is early cameron right like this is mm-hmm. pre terminator 2 pre titanic you know yeah um, probably his third movie so i i, I just watched know. a or rewatched because i've seen it a couple of times there's a series on netflix called the movies that made us mm. I've and seen a they few did it. Yeah, right. So they do an episode on aliens, and uh, it talks about how Cameron was like he started out as a model maker working for Roger Corman mm-hmm. on one of his, I think it was like Battle Beyond the Stars, like a Star Wars knockoff or something. And and his first 
the first movie he directed was Piranha 2. Mm-hmm. And then and then he did the first Terminator. And that was about all he had under his belt when he went to do Aliens. And so they, 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 they tell the story about how, because it was, it was filmed at uh, Pinewood Studios in, in uh, England. Mm. And I guess the British crew was not very fond of James Cameron. And they had some pretty, pretty big, He's showdown. He's famously extremely difficult and demanding as a director, um, and probably as a husband. Well, but they too. were, He's but they were also offended. Time. They were also offended because they thought that Ridley Scott should have been back to direct the sequel. They thought, oh. well, you know, this is because I think some of them had actually worked on the first movie, oh, and so okay. like, well, who's this? Who's this blonde Canadian man? <laughs> yeah, is <laughs> so demanding. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty, like, for being a guy. So he's made three of the top four grossing movies of all time worldwide. Just three? Three of the top four. Like, well, I know, but that's... Well, okay, well, yeah. There's right. Well, there's Avengers Endgame. But still, I mean, that's yeah. amazing when you think of... No, what it... I guess, I, guess, all right, I guess what I was referring to was the fact that I thought that, like, more of his movies were kind of on that top list. Um, not out of four, but like, so I guess we're talking about the two avatars and Titanic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Terminator two, I mean, we're thinking about his other movies, right? So Terminator two, true lies. Well, first Terminator, those, have, those all did well, but Abyss. they weren't like, yeah, but they're, they're not, that's what I mean. Yeah. They're not, they're not like all time box office. They're not. Well, Terminator two, I think was the top movie of 90. Even though they were all better than the avatar movies. <laughs> Way better. The t- I think Terminator 2 was the top movie from its year. Um, yeah, I, the, apparently, I mean, he's just going to make Avatar movies till he dies. Sorry, Josh, but I think That's it's so happening. Pathetic. That's awful. That is so sad. He, uh, that is so sad. You got to admit that that's, that's terrible. If that, if, that, if that is actually what happens. I, I think he's got a billion dollars and he can do what he wants. Um, I don't know. It may not be what happened. Yeah, he may have another. That's a cop out, man. Come on. He may have something else he's got. Think, of, think about what he's done in the past and the potential and ability he has. If all he does from this point on is just crank out Avatar sequels, that's a disappointment. I don't know. They could be pretty good. I think you should see him. You need to give him a second and third. Whatever, chance. man. You need to see him in the theater Whatever. multiple times. Like, try the 3D version, IMAX version. So does it really start to sink in by the eighth time? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's fourth, fourth or fifth time. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Well, Whoa. we've been going for for a while. I think we ought to let our audience yeah. off the hook, or they have. Should I should I rant about Avatar a little bit more? No, but I because <laughs> we were we were trying to decide because we had a we had a really good discussion about sci-fi movies. I think it was just the last. Was it just the last episode? Uh, um, yeah, I think so. And this and this one is interesting because, I mean, well, you mentioned before that, in some ways, you kind of felt like, well, more is not better in the in the case of Aliens, and that you liked Alien, the you know, original one, better. And I almost I almost feel like it's unnecessary to decide whether you like one or the other better. Because they are such different movies. It, it mm-hmm. almost feels like I, I, I'm not sure, at least off the top of my head, that I can think of a, a one-two franchise like this that feels 
more like apples and oranges because that first one, it's this very, like you say, it's very streamlined. It's very contained. It's kind of a haunted house movie on a spaceship, right? Like a mon yeah. there's a, there's a monster. It's a ghost, you know, ghost story, but then aliens, it still has these elements of horror to it, but it's an action movie. Yeah. And it's, it's an action movie in a way that, alien doesn't even try to be really mm -hmm. i mean there's there's some action in it but i don't know i mean well, i am perfectly happy to just love both of them and as as totally separate totally different things and i don't know maybe maybe i need to go back and rewatch alien again and see if it's it's more yeah more I, similar than i, I mean i do like just, both of them i just just for the conversation i mean we often we're comparing movies or making lists that's just part of you know what you do but i do really like both of them and well, we don't they have are to do different. that mark um i do we can just do what we want this is our podcast i i did notice i think i mentioned this to you while we were watching the movie i was impressed at the restraint that cameron showed in keeping us from the aliens for quite a long time sometimes sequels the, the, the big yeah. sin of sequels to me is they jump right in to just showing you everything and and don't have any suspense maybe or um, maybe they have very little exposition. They're like, let's just get to it. And and I, I mean, this movie goes a good 35, 40 minutes without really showing aliens. I mean, maybe there's a glimpse, you know, a couple of them, but um, it takes a while. And partly it's, I think, because we watched the, the extended version too. Yeah, um, but but you know the first one it's and this happens a lot with first movies that are like classics that spawn you know a whole set of sequels. That's how Jaws is. That's how you know Rocky is. That's how like there's sort of a slow burn that's just perfect, perfectly paced. You know, um, in some of these movies and uh, well, and on on that note, I. You know, un unless you or or perhaps one of our listeners convinces me otherwise, I don't really have any interest in continuing on to review Alien Three, Alien mm. Resurrection, Alien, Alien versus Predator, yeah. Alien Covenant. What's the what was the other one? Prometheus. The, Prometheus. Yeah, I mean, Alien while, versus while rewatching Aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I just kind of felt like, you know. Sometimes I think it's better to just let these worlds be mysterious, mm -hmm. you know, because especially like Prometheus is the one that's supposed to kind of tell you where everything comes from and where the xenomorph came from and all this kind of thing. And I don't know. I, I like the simplicity of, of, you know, those, those first two movies and just how, Hey, you know what? There is this awful, awful monster that has, you know, kind of like you say, these these multiple stages of existence, and it's terrifying and it's awful, and that's all we need to know. We don't need to know where they came from two billion years ago, and mm -hmm. you know, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Forrest Gump line, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay, so so we've checked aliens off your list and Alien. So uh, any idea what? Uh, where we should go next or is, or is it time for me to watch a movie that you've seen that I've never seen you know I'll have to come up with a list uh, what I'll do is I'll come up with a list of a few movies because then you can tell me because I don't know everything that you've seen but there may be something that yeah. I is very meaningful to me um, right. 
that that you haven't seen that we should do that which would be fun um, cool because yeah i i was glad i mean I, this has been a great year for me this one has been the best years in recent memory for me to watch old i'll just call them old movies for the first time like i yeah i hadn't seen whiplash and that's 10, oh, wow. 10 years old i saw that this year the rescue which is a couple years old that was probably my favorite documentary favorite documentary i've seen in a while um you know old old movies like my wife and i got, got to go see an american in paris at the at the utah symphony mm. um anyway there's just several movies like that um heat yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i saw heat for the first time this year so like i'm kind oh, of wow. revisiting these or not revisiting but you know, visiting these movies that have everybody catching else up. has seen, but me catching up with aliens. Yeah. So it's been been a pretty fun year for, for those kind of movies. Nice. Well, we still have at least two, two and a half months left of that year. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see what else we can fit in. Any any other final thoughts before we sign off? I think we've, we've covered some good territory. I think we tonight. covered some good territory. I'm excited to see Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but yeah, I think I think... I'm good to go. Excellent. All right, sir. Well, thank you, as always, for being on. And thank you, dear listener, for uh, hanging out with us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. Hit a like button. Hit a subscribe button. Hit whatever positive options are before you. And just stay away from those negative ones because we don't want negativity. And uh, we will see you next time with some more stuff. I can't think of what's coming up. I know that the Marvels is coming up, but maybe I won't say anything about that Mm -hmm. one because I'm a little skeptical. Uh, But whatever we come up with next, it's going to be fun. So take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you soon. Mm